From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. In 19 states, it is still legal to paddle a child who is misbehaving in class. In at least four states, schools continue to rely on corporal punishment as a standard discipline practice. Nationwide corporal punishment has largely fallen out of favor, and policymakers and community leaders have started to question other traditional forms of discipline like detention, suspension, and expulsion. Research shows that children who are suspended are more likely to drop out of school and end up in jail. What's more, children who are racial minorities are disproportionately suspended and expelled in this country. Some districts are ending out-of-school suspensions altogether in favor of policies that consider why children are acting out and those that help correct misbehavior. But when a school lacks resources, it may be hard to replace traditional school discipline with sensible alternatives. Eli Hager visited a part of the country that is known for widespread poverty and troubled schools. Mississippi is one of the states where some schools still use corporal punishment. Hager recently wrote an article for the Marshall Project, which is called When Schools Feel Like Jail. He spoke with ARW associate producer Suzanne Pico. Your story opens with a portrait of a young man named Rock Allen, and he he grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Rock, as you write, has never gone to jail, but school was close enough. Why was school prison-like for him? Well, he described it that way for a number of reasons. Um, from an early age, corporal punishment was used on him, which isn't exactly a jail-like uh, punishment, but it did give him this sense that he was there to be punished. Um, and, and this was for things like uh, dress code infractions, having his shirt untucked, wearing the wrong color shoes. Um, and then later on in high school, he uh, very often went to in-school detention, um, which essentially consisted of just going to a room and doing nothing for up to three days at a time which does exist, of course, in schools around the country, but it's used in a particular way in Mississippi um, where kids go into this room and just are there for very long stretches. And then the thing that he really described as jail-like was when he was sent to the alternative school. Um, He had his cell phone out in class, and then the principal told him to put the cell phone away, and then he kind of uh, erupted and, and talked back to the principal. Um, and he, for that, he was sent to the alternative school um, a couple of miles away. And this was a school where uh, police officers, teams of up to seven police officers, were walking in and out of the building. They were searched constantly. They had to be quiet and walk on the right side of the halls at all times. And they were held in rooms for four months at a time, not doing very much learning. And so that's what he really described as jail-like. In-school suspension is on the rise. And when people say in-school suspension, sometimes they do mean these alternative school settings. Do you know if what Rock experienced is kind of typical for alternatives to out-of-school suspension? Well, it's certainly typical within Mississippi. The, the term alternative schools can mean a whole range of things if you, if you look nationally at what that term means. Alternative schools can mean progressive learning institutions where new age types of learning go on. Um, they can also mean special schools for students with uh, social and intellectual and emotional disabilities. But in Mississippi and uh, Texas and some other places in the South, uh, there's this very punitive type of alternative school where essentially kids get sent down the road to this other building for periods that can be as short as 10, 15, 20 days, and, and they're sent there to just kind of wait it out um, instead of being suspended out of school. Um, so it's a direct alternative to out-of-school suspension. 
And Rock, as you describe him, doesn't sound like someone who was acting out because he was a quote-unquote bad kid or emotionally troubled, but sort of like typical rowdy teenage stuff, just mouthing off. And you say he didn't ultimately end up in jail, but many students with discipline records do end up in the so-called school-to-prison pipeline. Can you explain why this happens? Sure. It happens for a number of reasons. One major pipeline, as, as we describe it, um, is from suspension to involvement in the juvenile justice system. And the reason that happens is that students who are out of school for two, three, five, ten days at a time are often unsupervised during the day. They have nothing productive to do, um, and they end up doing things that get them involved with the law. Another reason is that when they come back to school after a suspension like that, they're way behind. They're all the more likely to act out, and they're all the more likely to drop out um, after another year or two in school because they've gotten so behind. And so all of those things, directly or indirectly, can lead to juvenile justice uh, involvement. Some people might be surprised to hear that several teachers you talk to really do rely on corporal punishment, like paddling when kids get out of control. What do teachers actually do? Are they are they actually taking out a paddle in front of kids and whacking kids on the bottom in front of the whole class? Uh, that does happen, yes. I think the most common scenario is that the teacher will send the student out uh, to the principal's office and the principal or the vice principal will do it. We'll have the, we'll have the child bend over the principal's desk and get paddled on the bottom uh, three to five times usually. Um, or the teacher sends the student out to one of the coaches, the basketball or the football coach, who are often uh, have this double purpose as disciplinarians in the schoolhouse. Um, and the, the coach will do it instead. But yes, uh, uh, many teachers do 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 that in uh, themselves in front of the entire class. Um, and you know, it's a very traditional practice that that obviously goes back a long ways in the in the rural South, especially in the black community. Um, and teachers and even students see it as fairly normal, um, even though people not from some of these areas might be quite shocked by it. Now, what does the, does the research say? Does research actually show that corporal punishment is effective? Um, so the research shows that corporal punishment is effective in the very, very short term. So when you paddle a student uh, or a child generally, they will stop acting the way they're acting in that moment. So it, it, so it quells the, the disturbance that's happening in the classroom in that moment. However, the research also shows that in the long term, it's incredibly destructive. It makes children far less likely to trust uh, adults, whether that's teachers or parents or, or, you know, any of the above. It makes them far less likely to like going to school and to enjoy the school atmosphere because it's an atmosphere of, of, of fear and violence. Um, and so they don't like school and they're less engaged in it. And it also makes them more likely to act out, uh, sometimes violently themselves. It, it creates an antisocial quality in some children after it happens for long enough. So, so the research is pretty conclusive that it's not good for kids in the long term, but it, teachers are not wrong to say that it is effective in those moments. And an alternative used to be, well, they're, if they're tr- disrupting class, they get suspended, but now there's like increasing pressure for that tool to, to not be used as often. Does the research say that suspensions actually work? 
so again, it's a, a mixed picture. Um, the you know suspending a, a student gets that student out of the classroom, and there's definitely an argument to be made, um, and and it is made by teachers and administrators that that makes the classroom a better place for all the rest of the students, and more learning happens as a result because the the few bad actors in the classroom when they're out of the classroom, um, it changes the whole dynamic. That being said, it's clearly not good for the students who are suspended. They come back to class way behind, confused about what's going on, and all the more likely to act out. And while they're gone, they're all the more likely to get arrested or end up in court. So it's a mixed bag again. It's clearly not an ideal solution, though. So there's this national push um, to reduce suspension rates, especially because there's disproportionate representation of students of color and students with disabilities who are suspended. You know, many cities have actually seen their suspension rates go down with this push to stop using this as a tool. How are successful schools accomplishing this? So a number of the cities that have seen some success in reducing suspensions like Boston, Denver, Colorado, Portland, Oregon, Oakland, California, have done so by replacing suspensions with something called restorative justice, which is an intensive program uh, in which students kind of learn about the consequences of their actions. So, for example, as an alternative to suspending a student who gets in a fight, a restorative justice school would um, sit down the student and the other student who he got in a fight with and a mediator and potentially other students from, from, from the class, and they would all sit and they would discuss how the fight affected the people involved, affected the other students around them, um, and they would get to the bottom of why that was wrong and why they shouldn't do it again. And it, it sounds a little pie in the sky, but, they, but they, they've seen incredible success in some of these areas that have had the time and the resources to, to implement those programs. And now how have, how have districts in the Mississippi Delta and other parts of Mississippi responded when they've been asked to bring down their suspensions? Is restorative justice, has that been successful there? Um, no, it has not. Um, the, the Jackson Public Schools, for example, have been trying uh, as hard as they possibly can to reduce suspensions and even to reduce referrals out of the classroom. And the superintendent there says that they're trying restorative justice, but they just haven't been able to get the grant money for it. And in an under-resourced school district like that, it's very hard to implement something like restorative justice because restorative justice programs require a full-time coordinator. They require extra staff, including counselors, uh, psychologists, tutors, people like that, to deal with behavior um, on a case-by-case basis. And they require a whole uh, systemic and cultural change that's really hard to do when you're a school that's struggling to even um, not be failing uh, on an academic level. So they've been really struggling to implement that in a real way. Um, and and behavior's really been suffering as a result in Jackson. Teachers have been quitting in unprecedented numbers. They describe assaults and, and terrible behavior in the classrooms um, because they no longer can suspend the kids, but they don't have a, a decent, reliable alternative. So what's what's going to happen there, or what what needs to happen uh, in in areas that are under resourced in order to change school climates and really transform how schools handle discipline? Well, I mean, it's a hard, complicated question, and I don't think the answer is easy at all in a place like Mississippi. And I I also think we're potentially asking too much of the schools in Mississippi um, by by suggesting that they should be able to not suspend while still fixing the behavior. And, and the reason why I say that is 
a lot of this behavior is coming into the schools from very, very poor communities. In the Mississippi Delta and in Jackson, there's incredible poverty. Students are disproportionately likely to be uh, witnesses of murders and domestic violence from a very young age, and they come into school angry because of that. Um, They're very likely to live in homes with a lot of people, multiple families living together, so they're not used to structured, quiet environments, and so they're loud when they get to class. Um, They're often working until late at night, and they're tired. They're not getting good meals, and they're hungry. And all of these problems are coming into the classroom, and suspensions or restorative justice or whichever way the school wants to approach it, it's never going to quite be able to get on top of behavior problems like that until we kind of look at the larger problems of poverty. So we started out talking about Rock Allen. Uh, what happened to him? Did he graduate? Uh, Yes, he did graduate, and now he is going to a community college in Jackson, um, and he's uh, studying music, and he wants to move out of Mississippi and and go somewhere where he can uh, kind of stretch his his wings a little bit because he sees Mississippi as a little bit of a strict, uh, hardline state where he can't do that. Eli Hager is a reporter with The Marshall Project. His most recent article is titled, When School Feels Like Jail, and was published in partnership with Bright. You can find a link to it at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, we hope you'll download some of our other podcast episodes and browse through the archive of more than 100 documentary projects, AmericanRadioWorks.org. We'd also love to hear what this podcast made you think about. Did you learn something new about school discipline? And might you share this episode with friends or colleagues? You can click on the About section of our website and choose Share Your Impact Story. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and we're on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>